0: All right. You guys ready to do this sermon? You guys ready to continue looking at the book of John? All right. Hey, let's pray real quick. Before we jump into the Bible, let's pray. Let's talk to God. We're about to hear from God's Word. So let's talk to God in prayer, and then we're going to open up His Word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us your Bible. We know that it's a gift every time we get to spend time looking at it, every time we get to ask questions that come from it and think big thoughts about you as we see you in your word. So I pray that you would teach us important things tonight as we look at it and that you would help us understand what we need to do. There's so much in your word about responding rightly to your word. So I pray that we would do that tonight. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I want to tell you that today I took a big step in my adult life. I am, um, I called an insurance guy and, um, and, uh, I'm getting life insurance, you know? You know how old you have to be? And how old you feel when you start talking about life insurance? And 20 year policies? And monthly payments, just so that if I die, my wife gets money? Did you hear that? (laughs) See, I had to make the decision between the big plan and the small plan, I said, how much am I worth to you? Am I worth 500,000 or a million? Like, what am I worth to you? Yeah, exactly. That's what she said too. Um, Oh, that's hilarious. Thank you. Uh, It's not how I interpreted that laugh, but uh, anyway, so I was, I was, you know, trying to get this life insurance because I realized, you know, oh, you know, if I, uh, if I'm not around anymore, I want to make sure I'm taking care of my wife. It's, it's one thing to take care of your family when you're alive. It's another thing to think about, okay, what are you gonna leave them when you're gone? Right? Maybe that's not a feeling that you felt before, that's a feeling you know, I'm starting to feel and starting to wanna to take care of. But that feeling of, okay, I wanna take care of my wife, even if I'm not here. Right? It's one thing to take care of my wife while I'm, I'm with her. It's another thing to take care of her when I'm gone. And there's that tension in wanting to leave enough behind for her, right? So that's why I was calling that insurance person. But today, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus actually does that. He says, this is what I'm leaving behind. He says to the disciples, I'm about to leave and I'm about to die. And it's not that he's giving them some life insurance policy so they have a lot of money. But what he is doing is he's leaving them with some things. And we're going to find three things tonight in the gospel of John that Jesus says, when I leave, I'm gonna leave these things behind for you. So that as you keep living for me, and keep following for me, fo- following me, it's gonna be possible. Because if you think about this for a second, we live in a time where Jesus is not walking the face of the earth. So it's hard for us to get into the mindset that the disciples were in, where you were thinking, I've literally been following Jesus for three years. I've literally been walking around, following his footsteps, doing the things that he does. Going the place that he goes. And now he says he's going to leave. What is it going to be like to stay behind when Jesus leaves? That feeling is the feeling that we should get ourselves into. Because that's what the disciples were feeling. And that's why last week at the beginning of John 14, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to the Father, but I'm coming back for you. And what we're going to study today is the stuff that happens in between. So I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. Look at verse 12. That's where we're going to start tonight, where Jesus literally says, while I'm gone, here's what I'm leaving for you. And here's why you can actually be okay while I'm gone. How do you live for Jesus when Jesus doesn't live here? I mean, think about that. Sometimes when we say you need to follow Jesus, your first thought usually is not, okay, where is he? Uh, Where where can I go follow him physically? Because we're just programmed to think, well, oh, that means some kind of spiritual thing. I just want you to realize if you are a disciple like Peter, like James, like John, like Matthew, like Thomas, like Philip, you would not be thinking that. You would be thinking following Jesus means going with him, being with him. So Jesus is introducing this idea of separation saying, I'm actually, you're gonna keep following me in this life when I'm not here. I just want you to think for a second, that would be confusing to hear for the first time. For us, it makes sense like, oh, following Jesus, that means living like Jesus. They didn't know that at this point very well. It was not very clear to them. So we're going to see Jesus start to explain that, which really should give us a lot of things to think about too. So we're going to start in verse 12. The first thing we see here that Jesus leaves behind starts in verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I want you to think about that for a second. What are the works that Jesus was doing? What are the things that Jesus was famous for? When Jesus was up near the sea of Galilee and people didn't have bread and he fed them bread from five loaves and two fish. When he fed them a meal, that's the thing that Jesus was famous for. That was a work that he did. When he was at a wedding, we studied this back when we were outside on the patio. Jesus was at a wedding. I had all of those trash cans up on the stage. You guys remember that? And we said by Jesus pouring water into those big amounts of water, like uh, those trash can sized things, jars, He turned water into wine instantaneously. That was a thing that he was famous for. And then the last miracle that we studied that Jesus did is when he went to a dead guy, a guy who had been dead for four days in a tomb, he knocked on the tomb door and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out, really probably hobbles out in his grave clothes. Now, Jesus says to the disciples, the works that I'm doing, you're going to do those too. That's why this is hard to believe. Because if Jesus turned to you and said, you know, those crazy miracles that I've been doing, the amazing things, you're going to keep doing those. You're going to do those too. You'd be like, there's no way. Like, I can't do that. Right? Keep reading. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the father. You'd be saying, whoa, whoa, time out!" So something greater than raising a person from the dead. So you're saying you're going to, We're going to do something greater than turning water into wine. So you're saying we're going to do something greater than preach the sermon on the mount. Jesus is basically saying, yes, you are going to do something greater. That's hard to get our minds around. And if we were a disciple, we'd be like, no way. I don't believe that. Let's keep reading. He says he's doing this because Jesus is going back to the father. Now verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And this is another promise you'd be thinking, wow, I find it hard to believe that that's true. That if I ask Jesus for things when he's gone, it's one thing to ask when he's there, to ask Jesus some question about what I should do. It's another thing to do it when he's gone. How is that possible? Well, I think the first big thing that Jesus is saying that he's going to give to his people when he's gone is direct communication. He's saying, you're still going to be able to talk to me. I'm going to leave, but you're still going to be able to talk to me. And what you see here, Jesus is saying is you're going to continue doing my work. You're going to continue to do the things that I did on earth. All right, we mentioned some of the big miraculous things like those miracles and that, that first generation of apostles, they did continue to do those miracles. And we see those in the book of Acts, but there's even something that's better and more impressive than the miracles. There's greater works that the church needs to do That are not just like miracles or healing or things like that. There's something greater than that. And I want you to step back and think, well, what's the work that Jesus does on this earth? What was he doing? Why did he come? I think a good verse to write down is Luke 19.10. Kind of gives a summary statement of what Jesus did. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his main mission on this earth. He came to do that. And I want you to think for a second at this point, In history, when Jesus is talking to these disciples in the upper room and he's telling them these things that he's going to leave, how many followers did he have? How many followers did he have? We had 11 close ones. He had a whole nother group like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had friends. But it seems like there was only less than 500 people who really were committed to Jesus. If you know the story of the book of Acts, you know what happens the first day The first day that Peter starts preaching. Do you know how many people became Christians and followed Jesus in the first day? 3,000. Greater works. I think that's what he's describing here. He's saying you're going to continue to do greater works. And here's how. Because you pray. I'm going to work through you to do amazing things to seek and save the lost. But you have to be connected to me. So if we think through, okay, Jesus is leaving. He's provided things for us while we live on this earth without him, so to speak. Without him next to us physically. What's the first thing? For point number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to ask Jesus to continue his work through you. The first thing that he gives you is prayer. Okay? I, say, I call it direct communication before. That's really the first thing that Jesus says, I'm going to give this to you while I'm gone. You're still going to have direct access to me, even though it doesn't feel like I'm right next to you. You're still going to have direct access to me. I want you to see how crazy this is. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Okay, and that right there, a lot of people have taken this verse and missed miss the point. Like, whatever you ask in my name, okay, I'll just ask you anything that I want and then slap on the end of it in Jesus' name, right? You know, when we pray, we usually say in Jesus' name at the end, right? Why do we do that? It's not some magical formula. It's not something you just end at the, the prayer to just make it powerful. That's not the point. What Jesus is saying is, if you come to me and ask me for something that I want in my name, I will do it. If you're asking Jesus to do the things that Jesus said right here and shows in the rest of the Gospels and the whole Bible what he wants to do, he wants to answer those prayers. But the problem is, for most people, for most people who profess to be Christians, we pray far too often. And we pray for far too little. Jesus said, that you, if you believe in, in him, you will be doing greater works than him. I want you to think that there, do you actually believe that right there? That if you believe in Jesus, Jesus wants to use you to do things that are more amazing or bigger than what he did. That doesn't mean you're going to do something more spectacular in the sense that it's going to be, you know, hit the, all the newspaper headlines like his stuff did. But he's going to do something more important through you. I want you to think, do you really believe that? Because if you do believe that, I think that's where we start to pray the way that we should. We start to ask Jesus for the things that we should, boldly, really expecting that he's going to do it. I said earlier that I think Luke 19.10 is a great summary statement for what Jesus did. Okay? You know, the rest of the Bible says that we are supposed to be doing that same mission. We're supposed to be seeking and saving the lost. We're not seeking the saving and lost in our own name. You don't go to somebody and say, hey, you should believe in me and I can get you to God. All right? You don't say you should believe in John's name and come to God. You'd be like, whoa, 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 that's wrong. We can't do it that way. Jesus wants to continue his work through you. It's not your thing exclusively like, oh, I'm just going to get a bunch of people who like me and follow me. That's not the point. The point is God is calling each and every one of his people. So if you're one of his people, one of your main jobs is to be someone doing Jesus's work. What does that look like? The first thing, seeking and saving the lost. I want you to write down this passage that applies directly to you. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. I'm going to read it real quick. Here's what it says. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What that means is that God was having Jesus fix your relationship with him. God uses Jesus to fix your relationship with God. So that if you're a real Christian who understands the good news of, of Jesus, who's responded rightly with, with trust and with faith and has repented of your sins, says now you're reconciled with God. And here's what it says. This is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the job, the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins, their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What that means is, on this planet, who are the people that are going and trying to connect people with God? Who's going to do that? All right. Who's going to do that? This passage says the people who've been reconciled. If you have a good relationship with God because you trust in Jesus, here's what Jesus says to you. Very clearly through his word. You need to become a part of that mission too. The problem is, if I asked you the question, hey, should Christians try to make disciples of Jesus? Right? I think 95% of you would say, I know the right answer to that question. Yes, we should. Okay? There's another question that might hurt a little bit more. How are you doing at that? How are you doing at that? If you have trusted in Christ and you have been reconciled to him and he gave you this message. It's like you're a messenger right? and you have this message. I mean, imagine that. Go back to Bible times. Imagine the guy in a sandals and I don't know, maybe a really flowy toga where you can run really far, right? And you were given a message by a king, okay? Now you have that message in your hand, that little scroll, and he says, go spread this news to people. That's what, that's what Jesus did with you. Now, imagine that guy saying, okay, that sounds awesome. He leaves the presence of the king, takes his little scroll with that message and forgets to tell anybody, right? I wonder if that image might describe some of us, that we know how to connect people with God. We know the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die as a sacrifice, and to rise again to defeat death. You know that. You have that message in your hand. But, but who, who are you going to tell? That messenger. If the king said tell that to everybody. right? It's not even that the Bible says. Only tell it to a select few group of people. Once you're really close friends with them. right? It doesn't say that. It says go, go, go spread it everywhere. I wonder. If you're a silent messenger. I wonder maybe that describes you. Are you a silent messenger? Like you've been given a message. And you've been silent about it. You've got the scroll, you've got the truth, but have you shared it? Greater works, Jesus says, the disciples will do. Greater works. I told you that on day one of the church, 3,000 people became Christians. 3,000 people. I just want you to imagine that. What does 3,000 people look like? All the followers of Jesus before the first day of the church could fit in this room. Okay, imagine that. And then imagine on day two, we need like seven of these rooms. That's crazy. And that's what happened. That's the truth. That's history. That's a history lesson right there. That's not a, that's not a science question. That's a history question, right? That happened on the first day of the church. 3,000 people. I want you to ask yourself, right? If you're thinking, maybe I am that silent messenger. Maybe I have the, the message and I haven't told people. I want you to ask yourself, are you, um, are you bold enough? Do you trust Jesus enough to ask him to help you with that? You bolden, like? Do you think that Jesus can actually use that message? Because I wonder if you have that message. You know the truth. Maybe you haven't told your friends. I wonder why you haven't told your friends. Maybe it's because you don't believe it will make any difference. A lot of people do that. The reason they don't speak up. Is because they don't actually believe that the message could really change that friend. They go, oh, I could change, you know, church people. But it couldn't change that person. Maybe one of the reasons we don't. Continue the work of Jesus is because we're not praying. Because we're not even talking to Jesus at all. Because if Jesus says, I'm going to use you to advance what I've been doing, he says, but talk to me about that. Ask me. Ask me anything in my name, a thing that's pleasing me, I will do it. If it's a part of my mission, I'll do it. I wonder if you if you went back and thought, okay, for the last week, for the last month, maybe because it's January, look at the last year. How many times did I ask God to seek and save a lost person that I know? How many times did I ask? How many people do I know that I prayed for, that I asked, God, please save that person because they don't know you right now. They don't know the gospel. Please save them. And hey, please use me, God. How many times did we pray that? Because I think if we prayed that, you know what we'd start doing? We wouldn't be silent messengers anymore, would we? We'd start telling people if we were praying that every day. We would have the boldness to do that. And I think that's what he gets at here. The first thing that he leaves is prayer, is direct access. Another passage that you could write down under this, Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, says, ask, seek, knock. You guys probably have heard that verse before. It says, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. And he tells a little parable. He says, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? All right, how many dads do you know that give their, their little babies rocks to eat when, they, when they're hungry, right? I, I don't think you know that many of them. Maybe you're a r- really bad dad, but most dads would say, oh, yeah, I want to give my kid some food. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Have you ever asked your parents for, a, I don't know, food, and they said, okay, yeah, yeah, take this snake. Eat this snake. Has that happened to anybody? I don't think so. Right, maybe if you've got like a, a pet lizard. No, lizards wouldn't eat snakes, right? I don't know. Kaylee's the only one that would know about that, right? Um, do, any, do you have any pets that eat snakes? Okay, no. So I, then this is not, it's not possible. We just ruled out every person in the room. It's impossible. So your parents haven't given you snakes when you ask, hey, can we get lunch somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a snake for you. No, your parents don't do that because your parents don't want you to eat a snake or to be eaten by a snake. You can't really be eaten by a snake. But if they bite you, it kind of feels like that, right? I'm not, I'm not speaking from experience. I've never been bit by a snake. I'm just saying. Jesus says it right here. He says, no one's going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He says, if you, people who are evil, <laughs> wow, that's kind of a slam. He says, if evil people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's why, point of one, we need to ask Jesus. Ask him for those good things. Jesus leaves, though. And I want you to check out verse 15. If we're back in John chapter 14, look at verse 15. He's about to leave, and he says, you're going to still have access to me. You're still going to be able to talk to me through prayer, which is an amazing concept if you think about it. That without saying a word, without even speaking out loud, Jesus can read your mind and your thoughts and hear those and pass those along to God and answer and do amazing things that you could never do. That's, that's an amazing thing. Once you start to think about how that really works. Then he says in verse 15, he says, if you love me, if you disciples really love me, here's what you're going to do. You will keep my commandments. You will obey me. You'll do what I say. You know, what he just said, what did he just say? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So There's maybe a first good step of application, right? If you really love Jesus, you know what you're going to do? You're going to listen to him. And what did he just tell them to do? Pray. He says, how can you say you really love me if you're not even talking to me? How can you say you love me if you're not going to keep my commandments? The other thing that he just commanded last chapter, if you remember, it was that big commandment. He says, you know, you should love other people, other Christians, like I loved them, like I loved you. That's a big command too. If you love Jesus, he says, you'll keep my commandments. He says, and verse 16, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Do you guys see how that word helper in your Bibles is capitalized? You see that? Well, it's not capitalized because the word is capitalized in the original language. It's capitalized because Jesus is referring to this helper as a person. So the translators just put a capital H to, to show that it's, like a, it's a proper noun. The helper. Right? Some, some, some translations don't even put the word helper. They just take the original word and bring it straight into English. Paraclete. Okay? That's the word. It means helper. It means someone who comes alongside someone else to strengthen them. Like a, like a, a crutch or a brace. You ever had a, maybe a back brace or, or a knee brace or something like that? Something that comes alongside and gives strength. He says, that's what the the helper is. He's going to come. But he says, I'm going to send you a helper, another helper to be with you forever. Then here he tells us who it is. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth. He's talking about God, the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send, I'm going to ask the father and I'm going to send to you. So the father and the son are sending the spirit to us. Then look what he says next says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world has not been listening to the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you, which is a big statement. He's saying, you guys know the Holy Spirit. He's Remember, he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to everybody. He just said the world doesn't even understand the spirit at all. He says, but you disciples, you know the spirit, because he, he's kind of like been with you, but Soon he will be in you. Your relationship is going to change. And what happens in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes and that's really what makes the difference. That's why they do greater works. Because the Holy Spirit is now involved in every real Christian and God works through the Holy Spirit. And that's why all these people got saved. Because the Holy Spirit's doing that. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. That's kind of describing a reality that might happen here at this church. Um, think about the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit talk? Right? A lot of people get this confused, right? This is an important area of study. How does the Spirit talk? How does the Spirit communicate? Right? A lot of people say, oh, I heard a voice in my head, right? I don't think that's how the Spirit communicates. You know how the Spirit communicates? 2 Peter 1 says that every word that's here was written down by prophets who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What that means is when you read the Bible... Those are the words of the Holy Spirit. Specifically. Right? We call it God's word. But specifically, if we want to think, is it the words of the Father, Son, or Spirit? Right? Really, if we're thinking about it very specifically, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. Which is why we have such an emphasis at this church at reading the Bible. At studying the Bible. Of praying through the Bible. Of thinking deeply about the Bible and studying it. Because he says the Spirit is going to teach you through the Bible. He says, I... Was, will be with you, but the Spirit will be in you. That's what happens when they become indwelled by the Spirit. And that happens now when people become Christians. And what I was saying earlier was a lot of people can be influenced by the Bible. And in a sense, that means you're influenced by the Spirit. And even non-Christians can be influenced in some ways by the Spirit, right? You, you can be a non-Christian and come to church and change your behavior a little bit. And in a sense, I guess it's like you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit, right? Because you're listening to the Bible and trying to obey. But he says there's a difference between the Spirit being with you and the Spirit being in you. That's the difference between being a real Christian from the inside out and a person who's just trying to act like a Christian. There's a big difference there. And that's what he's saying. He says, you're going to be changed. Now, verse 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. It's not like I'm going to leave you and never come back. He says, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, okay? That's a little confusing, right? Because before, at the beginning of this chapter, he was saying, I'm going to come back because I'm going to prepare this place for you, and then I'm going to take you to live with the Father, okay? Now, I think what Jesus is saying is something a little bit different. He says, the world is not going to see me, but you're going to see me. The people who have a relationship with me, you're going to understand me. You're going to see me. He says, because I live, you will also live, and right there, he's promising the resurrection. He's saying, the world's not going to see me, but I'm going to live. How does that work? Right, when Jesus died, right, the world saw it very publicly. Right? Everybody, he was, he was up on the cross. People saw it. People know that he died. Right? If you ask most people today, they'd say, I believe Jesus died. That's probably true, but there's no way he rose again. What he's saying here is, you guys, you disciples, you're going to see me after I rise from the dead. In verse 20, he says, in that day, you will know that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. He says, when you see me. And I think what he's trying to say is when you see me resurrected, that's when you're going to know for sure with total confidence. Yes, you and the father, you are one. And I'm in you and you are in me. Verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. I want you to ask yourself the question, do you have God's commandments? That's a pretty easy answer. All right, if you have the Bible, the answer is yes. Okay. Now, are you a person who keeps them? That might be a harder question to answer. And if you are a person who does not keep them, what does that say about your love for Jesus? Exactly what John 14, 15 says. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. It says, if you have my commandments, you don't keep them, or if you do keep them, that's the person who loves me. Look what he says next. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, which means I will show myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, look how he says, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, so there's another guy, another disciple named Judas, that's a bummer, he uh, might have changed his name a little bit after Judas became a bad guy, because Judas was a a normal name before uh, Judas Iscariot, so Judas, not Iscariot, he said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself or show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He'll do what I say. And my father will love him and we, so he's saying my father and I, we will come to him and make our home with him. Now think about it. He's just said that the spirit is going to be in the disciples. Then he said, whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, I, Jesus, and the father will be in them too. So, what is he saying? Father, Son, Spirit are gonna like live with these people. It's like they're gonna they're gonna be with them. He says, We're gonna come and make our home with him. Then verse 24 he says, Whoever does not love me, does not keep my whoever does not love me, does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the father's who sent me. I'm speaking God's words. Now, that was a lot, those verses. But what I want you to see there for point number two, what Jesus is saying, the second thing that he's leaving for us is the Holy Spirit, okay? So write this down for point number two. Get help from the Spirit to lovingly obey Jesus. Get help from the Spirit to lovingly obey Jesus. It's cool because this section is really talking about both of those things. Having the Spirit in your life and lovingly obeying Jesus. We saw that multiple times where he says, "You, you can't say you love me if you don't obey me. It's a package deal. A lot of people say they love Jesus, but they don't do what Jesus said. Jesus said right here very clearly, you don't love me if you're not obedient to me. It just is impossible. And a lot of people think that. Maybe you've thought that about yourself. You think, well, you know, I, 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 I love Jesus, but I just don't do what he says. All right? that, it doesn't work that way. He's very clear here. But he does say that the spirit is going to help you do that. So if you thought this through, okay, h- how, do I, how do I obey Jesus? Because right, he's saying like, if I love him, I'll obey him. I want, I, I, I think I love him. I want to love him. So I should just obey him. Well, let me, let me try it doing that. Let me try really hard to do everything that Jesus says. Try that for a little bit and see how, I see how that works. You'll find it, it doesn't work. It's impossible. You can't even follow Jesus without the spirit. And that's, I think what he's getting at. Both of these ideas, having the spirit to help us and be our helper, our strengthener, our comforter and obeying him. Those things go hand in hand. So here's basically what I'm trying to say. You either love Jesus and obey him and have this, the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life or you don't. Okay. Jesus is saying, those who are my real disciples, they love me. They obey me. And here's how this all works. They have power from the Holy Spirit to do that in a way that they did not have before. I said that there's a difference between the Holy Spirit being with them Influencing their behavior, maybe from the outside, and the Holy Spirit being in them. Okay, here's here's a small w- way of explaining that. Okay, did you guys brush your teeth today? I didn't get as many yeses as I was hoping to get there. You all brushed your teeth this morning, right? Yes. Are you a one a day person? No. Anybody a one a day person? Oh god! Oh wow! This guy said it. I got one person. He just fell down too. That was. Get any two, two a day people, two, two brushes a day? Any two brushes a day? Sometimes three. We got some overachievers. That's good. So I wonder why you brush your teeth. Why do you brush your teeth? Because it's disgusting. That's not, I mean, some people, people are really good at living in their own filth. Have you noticed that? Like if they smell bad, they don't like think that they smell bad. They're just like, it's fine. I, it's what are you talking about? It's like if you ever, uh, you ever like sleep in for a long time and someone comes in your room, like, oh, it smells bad in here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I've been smelling this all night. Like, what's going on? You don't even know that. Like, your parents know that. Your parents go into your room like, oh, it stinks in here. Especially you guys. It's getting worse, isn't it? Your rooms stink. All the insecure guys just labeled their friends' names there. Anyway, so... I said, I wonder why you brush your teeth because I guess there can be a lot of different reasons for brushing your teeth, can't there be, right? Some of you might brush your teeth twice a day because your parents say, brush your teeth twice a day or you're in trouble, okay? Some of you might do that and you say, okay, then I brush my teeth. Others of you, your parents are a little looser. Your parents don't like force you to, they just kind of expect you to and they probably wouldn't notice if you stopped but I would think that for some of you, You've experienced what it's like to have bad breath and you've, you've been embarrassed. Has anyone ever told you you have You've had bad breath. Have you ever had that experience? Someone's told you you have bad breath. Okay. See, we're not as bold at that one, right? This happened before. Has that never happened to you before? You're serious that you, one of you has told, well, okay, that you're one. You're the one a day guy though. So, so your mom said that you, yeah. Okay. Well, I wonder if uh, last week I mentioned your crush, right? I said, look at your crush, right? And then you all just look at your friends again. (laughs) You guys are not good at obeying the look at your crush deal. Anyway, you literally did the same thing last week. But I wonder if your crush told you, hey, um, you have bad Breath. Okay, would you just crawl into a hole and never come out after that? Hey, I bet there's something you would do like four times a day if your crush told you that. you probably brush your teeth like four times a day. You probably have a ton of gum and mints and everything just to make sure your breath doesn't smell bad. Okay? Here's what I'm trying to say. You might have some external reasons for not brushing your teeth like your parents tell you to. And that might keep you not brushing your teeth, or sorry, brushing your teeth. That might keep you doing that, but I, there's a whole other reason, a whole nother level of motivation if it comes from the inside, because your crush said you had bad breath. <laughs> that probably changed your outlook and your, your uh, vigorous teeth brushing regimen. Do you know what that, no, whatever. It just means brushing your teeth a lot, I don't know. You probably do a lot more because now you're motivated from the inside. There's a difference between just externally conforming to the expectations that you have on you, that people have on you, and you wanting to do something from the heart. Okay? I think when he talks about the Holy Spirit here, he's saying that some of you disciples have the experience of being shaped by the Holy Spirit, but but you guys don't understand what it's like to be changed from the inside by the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens to real Christians. Right? There are people in this room who might profess Christ, who are only just being changed on the outside. And you might be seeing some progress because you're being changed on the outside. Then there are some of you who are being changed from the inside and your heart looks different than it did before you were Christians. And, and that's, that's the real distinction between real Christian and a person who's not a real Christian. Is, is the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside? There's a passage I want you to write down, Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 17 to 21. It's an interesting passage because Paul, in it, he says, don't be foolish. He says, understand what God's will is for your life. You might say, how on earth could I understand what God's will is? Then he says, and don't get drunk with wine. Okay? It's like, whoa, what what are we talking about here? I'm I'm just 13. Then he says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, don't be controlled by a substance like wine, or like alcohol, or anything like that. Don't be controlled by that. Be filled by the Spirit. What he's saying is, instead of being controlled by those things, here's what you should be controlled by. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled. Give full control to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that, though? That seems really hard to do. And how do I get full control? Right, Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Do what the Holy Spirit says. Again, hey, how can we, uh, how can we know what the Holy Spirit says? How, how do we know that? Okay. Those of you who are uh, visual learners, you just said the Bible, right? Those of you whose heads were down, you're like, I don't know. Um, right here, okay? This is how we know what the will of God is. And then afterwards, after it says, don't be controlled by substances, but be controlled by the spirit. Then it says, here's what, here's what happens when you're controlled by the spirit. You're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing. You're making melody to the Lord with your heart, You're worshiping God and you're always giving thanks for everything to God, the father in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And also you're submitting to one another. You're putting other people's preferences first out of reverence for Christ. That's what happens if you're being controlled by the spirit. If you're in his word, if you're talking to him, that's what we got to do. That's why we say, what's the most important things for us to do in the morning? Read our Bibles and pray. It always gets back to that because this is the main means that we have every day of being changed by the Spirit. Look back at verse 25 in our passage. Basically, if, if you are being controlled by the Spirit, you'll actually love Jesus. You'll actually obey Jesus. And he also is going to leave us with one more thing. One more thing that he's going to leave us with. Verse 25. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. I think that's a very specific promise that he's making to the disciples. He's saying, you guys will remember exactly what I said so that you can accurately give sermons and even write the Bible. I think that's a very specific promise to the disciples. But I think the Holy Spirit also wants to teach you God's word too. But you can't be taught God's word if you're not in God's word. Then he says this in verse 27. Here's the thing that he leaves with us. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give it to you? Let your hearts not be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Because you heard me say that I'm going away and I'll come to you. Because if you loved me, if you even understood what was going on here, you would have rejoiced because I'm going for, to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does happen, when it does take place, you might believe. He's giving them promises. Right? Why is he giving them promises? He says, I'm leaving you with peace and I'm giving you promises. What do promises have to do with peace? What What are those those two things have to do with one another. Look at verse 30. So I will no longer talk much with you. I'm leaving. I'm not going to talk to you much anymore. For the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. And he's talking about Satan right there. He's saying, hey, the ruler of this world, it's, he's really going to look like he takes over, but he has no claim on me. That's another promise. He says, I'm coming back. I'm going to win in the end. So even when I'm gone, I've told you these things so that you can believe, so you can trust me, even when times seem crazy, because I already told you what's going to happen. He says, But I do as the Father's commanded me, that the world might know that I love the Father. And he says, Let's get out of here. <laughs> and he says, well, Let's let's go. Because they're eating dinner and and he says, Let's leave. I think the third thing that he leaves with us is peace. Okay. We said he leaves direct communication. So when Jesus is gone, he gives us prayer, he gives us the spirit. And the third thing is he gives us peace. So you can write this down for point number three. Rely on Jesus and his promises to give you peace. Rely on Jesus and his promises to give you peace. If you've ever watched a movie that you've seen before and remember the ending, you might have done that before. And when that does happen, do you ever get drawn back into the drama? It's like you've never seen the movie before. It's like, I know how this is going to end, but I'm getting super into it. Do we have any movie criers in here? Any movie criers you ever cried a movie for like the second time? How many of you cry the second time you see the movie and the third time and the fourth Yeah, see you people okay i'm just gonna just gonna say this is a bold claim okay you're crying because you want to cry okay can we just be honest you're cry if you know how the story ends and you're still crying that's just because you want to cry okay you are Basically getting drawn back into the drama. And usually you're watching that movie. If you've watched it two or three times, if you really do cry the second and the third time, it's probably because you're letting your heart get drawn into the movie. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But here's the deal. If you really know the end of the movie, if you really know the end, you don't have to cry. Can I just say that? Just, you don't have to cry. It's not like you have to cry. You can be like, I know how this is going to end. The dog is, is going to Oh, if the, see, okay, yeah. If the dog dies, that is a little sad. But but if you know the end of the movie's good, you don't have to cry because you know the ending. Here's the problem. Jesus gives us the end of the story. Think about that. Jesus gives us the end of the story. We know exactly what's going to happen in the end. Satan is not going to win. Jesus is going to win. We know the end of the story. But the problem is we all the time, here's what happens to us. We get drawn into the drama of this world acting like Jesus is not going to win. Acting like Jesus is not going to be the king in the end. Acting like God's priorities aren't better than our priorities. We get drawn into that drama and we let our heart get taken you know, around in that drama. Here's what Jesus says. You can have peace when you remember my promises. One more passage I want you to write down. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. It tells us we need to rejoice in the Lord. What that means is, have real joy. This is Philippians chapter four, verses four to seven. Philippians four, four to seven. Says rejoice in the Lord, because the Lord is at hand. It's like Jesus is going to come back soon. Then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, by talking to, to Christ, just like he said earlier in John 14, let your requests be made known to God. Then it says, and the peace of God will which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What that means is this peace that Jesus promises in John 14. And then we see again in Philippians four says you will have peace. If you are taking your problems and taking them to God and remembering Jesus's promises, you have peace because you remember the end of the story. That's the whole point that Jesus says, because I'm telling you exactly how it's going to go. So that when things get tough and it looks like I'm going to lose, you know that I already promised this beforehand. You know the end of the story. That piece, it says it acts like a guard. You know, when I get life insurance pretty soon here and it's all done, um, I guess my wife will feel like she's guarded a little bit, right? (laughs) She's got a little bit of a guard. But ultimately, um, money is not not like the greatest guard, I guess. It, It might be helpful, but... Uh, she'd probably, at least for now, rather me be alive than have the money, right? Right? Okay, cool. Cool, good. But yeah, I guess that life insurance kind of does give a little bit of comfort, right? It's kind of a little bit of a guard. But I would think that if I, if I was to die before her, that the thing that would be the ultimate guard for her wouldn't be the promise of money, that wouldn't be the ultimate guard. The ultimate guard would be the promise that we'd meet again, that we'd see each other. That'd be the ultimate guard. But all that is, is she's, she would have to put her trust in a promise that Jesus makes. I mean, someone doesn't have to die for you to do that. You, you can put your trust in a promise that Jesus makes and that promise, like right here, that he's gonna win in the end, that he can leave peace, that you can have peace, that really you don't have to be anxious about anything. I mean, think about if you really live like that. If you weren't anxious about anything. Jesus says you can do that if you trust him. That's what he leaves us with. He says, I'm going to win in the end. Because he's going to win in the end, we need to make sure that we're taking full advantage of the things that Jesus leaves us. Prayer, Holy Spirit, and peace. Let's do that. And let's talk about that. We've got some small group questions we're going to go through tonight. We're going to talk about what that means. We've got only three of them tonight, so we're going to go pretty quick. But I want us to pray right now, before we go to small groups, let's pray that God will help us actually pray this week and actually rely on the Spirit and actually have peace. Let's pray right now. God, thank you for giving us these promises. We trust them completely wholeheartedly we trust them. You know that we can't have peace if we're fighting against you. We can't have peace if we don't have a relationship with you. And I would think that many people here who don't have a relationship with you that they uh, they don't have peace. So I pray that you'd show them that trusting in you is the only way to have peace. Trusting in what you did for us, your perfect life, your sacrificial death and your conquering resurrection. We put our full faith in you We have that peace. So as we live in the time in between your departure and your arrival, I pray that you would help us live for you completely, wholeheartedly, trusting in you and doing whatever you call us to do in this world. It's amazing. You even let us be a part of those greater works that you promised your disciples would do. Pray that we'd be a part of that. I pray we'd ask more boldly this week to be a part of that work that you would answer our prayers as you promised. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.